gives it to Wall. Working against Bradley for three. John Wall! Oh, what a shot! Swing so a fly ball, center field deep. Bellinger going back to the warning track, to the wall. It's a grand slam! Howie Kendrick has done it! They're going crazy in the Nationals' dugout. Bledsoe back to pass, steps up, going deep. Oh, T.O. is leveled by Sean Taylor, and he's slow getting up. Could be a run back from 9 deep for Jacoby Jones, and look at him go. Jones is past the 50, and he is flying inside the 20, and a kickoff return, 109 yards and a touchdown, an all-time record. Holding inbounds to Nicholas. Four seconds, three seconds, he's across midcourt. Two seconds, one second, throws it up. And he got it! And the Terrapins win on the shot by Nicholas at the buzzer! Hoyes win! Hoyes win! Hoyes win! Hoyes win! Hoyes win! Puck in front, Connolly with a chance, and they score! They score! The puck on a rebound for Lars Eller! And as the puck drops, the words that D.C. fans have been waiting to hear since 1974, the Washington Capitals are the 2018 Stanley Cup champions. Hey, what's going on, everyone? And welcome to the DMV Dispute brought to you by DMV Sports Network. You can follow us on, follow us on Twitter at DMV Dispute. I'm your host, Jeremy. You can follow me on Twitter at JSquared021. I'm joined today by my boys, Darren and Gerard. Darren, Gerard, how's everything going with you all? Good, good. Can't complain. The Redskins didn't lose this weekend, so I can't complain. <laughs> what about you, Jerron? I'm good. I'm good. I can't go playing at all. It's happy to be. I'm happy to be back. All right. Uh, where can they find you on Twitter? Let's start with you, Jerron. They can find me on Twitter at Roddy KG. That's at R O D D Y KG. All right. What about you, Darren? You can find me on Twitter at D Bird Hoops. That's D B I R D Hoops on Twitter. All right. As always, we are proud to do this podcast for one of the top sports websites in the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, and that is dmvsportsnetwork.com. They can be followed on Twitter and Instagram at dmv underscore sn. They have some great daily content on the website of all things DMV sports, whether it be professional college, high school sports, and a lot more. So after you listen to this podcast, go ahead and check out dmvsportsnetwork.com. In addition, please be sure to subscribe to our show wherever podcasts are available. And that includes Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, SoundCloud, and many more. Let's move on to our first topic for this episode. It has to deal with the Baltimore Ravens. The Baltimore Ravens defeated the Cincinnati Bengals 49-13 to behind Lamar Jackson's phenomenal stat line. I'm going to go through it real quick. He was 15 for 17, passing 223 yards, zero, t- I'm sorry, zero interceptions, but three touchdowns. Touchdowns. He also added 65 rushing yards on only seven attempts and a touchdown. Mark Ingram added a touchdown on the ground, and uh, the defense was stout throughout the day. Marcus Peters, I think, got his second interception as a Baltimore Raven. So the Ravens are looking really good. They are seven and two. They are leading the AFC North right now. Uh, Let's start with you, Gerard. Lamar Jackson, 
he's playing this way. And actually, I got a tweet or I saw a tweet a little earlier that he's he's like projected to get some of the highest fantasy football points as a quarterback. Start with you, Gerard. Uh, Lamar Jackson, is he in the MVP race? And if he is, where would you currently rank him in the MVP race? Uh, he's definitely in the MVP race. Uh, he's leading the MVP race. I don't know if there's a guy in professional football right now in the NFL that is putting up the numbers that he's putting up and is more crucial to his team winning week in and week out than Lamar Jackson. Everything that the Ravens do is funneled through Lamar Jackson. Like on offense, everything that they do, whether it be the run, the pass, he is on pace to have over a thousand yards rushing, I believe. And you know, three thousand yards passing. It's incredible. Like he said, he he is an incredible quarterback for this team, and he's undoubtedly in the conversation, if not leading the pack. It's hard to think of guys who are even up there with them. Russell uh, Westbrook, excuse me, Russell Wilson is probably uh, either the only guy that you kind of flip one or two with Lamar Jackson. Um, a guy like a Deshaun Watson is up there. You could say, uh, you can say Christian McCaffrey for the Carolina Panthers is one, and Tom Brady is probably the fifth guy you could say. He's his numbers aren't MVP, uh, but their record is really good, and he's you know Tom Brady, so it's kind of like that LeBron effect. Even though LeBron usually has the numbers to back up his MVP uh, candidacy. Uh, another honorable mention I guess would be Aaron Rodgers he's had a really good season too um, I don't think even though the 49ers are undefeated I don't think Jimmy G or anybody on that team is just like one person who's like dominating other teams that's leading at least to them being undefeated uh, so yeah I would definitely say Lamar is probably the lead guy. I don't have a Vegas sports book in front of me, but I'm sure after yesterday, the odds that he is, you know, the odds all the odds favorite to win MVP. I'm sure betting wise, he's the favorite now. If he wasn't already these past couple of weeks, just an incredible season. He's shutting up a lot of doubters. He uh, and. You know, Darren and I were, you know, we had our reservations about Lamar coming into this season. One of the first shows we ever did was came on the heels of their loss to uh, San, to the to the Chargers in the playoffs. And so, you know, we had reservations about, hey, they traded away Flacco. And they made Lamar their guy. Is he going to be able to shoulder that? team and have them be successful and he's showing that he is more than capable of doing it and if they're going to continue this into the playoffs because with the rest of the AFC North looking the way it is, getting into the playoffs should be you know no no problem, no problem with this one, they could probably start RG3 the rest of the way and make it into the playoffs uh, so yeah, he's definitely number one um, in my MVP race I 
Lamar Jackson is definitely up there. The guys that I have, well, let, let me let me let me start by sort of countering to one of your points. So you did mention Tom Brady is always sort of being in the conversation. I mean, I, I get that he's Tom Brady, so he's always like you said. I think a good comparison is like LeBron James, where he's always going to be mentioned up there, like with MVP candidates, simply because he's Tom Brady. We know what he brings. We know the Patriots are good, and we know that the one of the main reasons that they're so good, they have such a good record as Tom Brady. So, so I get that, but you know, if we set him aside, you know, Brady's not going to be the MVP uh, this year, barring probably any major injuries to, to any of the real front runners, um, anybody like that. But I think for me, I would have to say that Lamar Jackson is definitely a front runner. I think the things that he has has been able to do for the Baltimore Ravens, um, you know, he's he's just been absolutely amazing. You know, I, I echo a lot of your sentiments. I hear everything you say, and you know, it's hard for me to to disagree with them. But at the same time, I still think when you look at it all the way through. Uh, at least for right now, at this point in the season with where the Ravens are, I think my top three would be Russell Wilson, Lamar Jackson, and Christian McCaffrey. I think that the, I, I think as far as I'm concerned, those are the top three. I think outside of that, um, honorable mentions to Deshaun Watson. I think what he's doing for the Texans is just fantastic. Um, you know, he's not a front runner, but he's in the conversation. Um, I think one of those guys that's also always going to be in the conversation, uh, you know, like Tom Brady is Patrick Mahomes. I don't think he's a front runner. I don't think he's up there. I don't think he's going to win it this year, but he's, he's in there. He's, he's in the conversation, I should say. So as far as Lamar Jackson, where he is right now, at this point in the season, I'd probably put... Russell Wilson just a little bit ahead of him as far as leading the MVP race. But I'd say Lamar Jackson is probably hot on his heels. Um, and I think if he just continues his stellar play, I think he can over, I think Lamar Jackson, I should say, if Lamar Jackson just continues his stellar play, I think he can definitely overtake uh, Russell Wilson. The only reason why I don't think that a guy like Christian McCaffrey would take it is simply because I think that it's hard for, I, I mean, it, it, ha it happens obviously, but I think it's hard for a non quarterback uh, to win the MVP with as, with as important of a position as the quarterback is. And just as many things as, as they have to do. I think so many eyes are on the quarterback that it's sort of the MVP race is almost geared towards the quarterback, unless you're just like a really outstanding player in a, in another position, which I think Christian McCaffrey is. Um, uh, honestly, if we'd done this topic two weeks ago or so, I think that Christian McCaffrey might've been my, my MVP front runner. Um, but you know, just with what Lamar Jackson has been able to do, and especially with his win over the Patriots that definitely catapulted him up, um, and a convincing win too, not like necessarily a close and nip tuck, anything like that. They, beat the Patriots like in a pretty resounding manner. So um, I'd still have to give the edge to, to Russell Wilson. Um, but 
I think Lamar Jackson is right there. And I think if we revisit this in a couple weeks or so, you know, maybe week 13 or so, um, it may very well be Lamar Jackson. But right now, I just I can't give it to him quite yet. I don't think he's quite there as far as MVP leader goes, but uh, he's definitely making his way up the rankings to me. Uh, I would have to say Lamar Jackson is probably at the moment number two in my MVP race, but uh, that can easily change because at the moment while we're recording, the uh, Seattle Seahawks are facing the the 49ers on Monday Night Football, and um, depending, based on what I'm seeing, and, and look, it's an MVP race. It's more, it's a race. I'm not it's saying that this one game is going to, de- or this one week is going to determine, you know, who is going to win. But at this point in the race, depending on what uh, Russell Wilson does in this Monday night game against the 49ers, let's say he doesn't perform as well as he has the rest of the season. I'm going to have to bump Lamar Jackson to number one because head to head, he beat him. He also head-to-head beat the Patriots, and, and now, you know, they have this record of 7-2, and two, and he's throwing up monster stats, uh, rushing, and also passing. It's not like he's not passing the ball. It's not like he's running a triple option offense. He's still throwing the ball. Interesting stat about Lamar Jackson. He's actually more accurate within pocket than outside of the pocket. So a lot of people say, obviously, he's not a pocket quarterback. I know that. But he's showing that he can at least throw from the pocket when necessary so far. So, um, yeah, I would have to put him at number two. And depending on where this Monday night game goes, might have to put him at number one. And I just want to correct something real quick. Uh, Marcus Peters return that touch that interception for a touchdown so yes that is uh he's playing well as of now for the baltimore ravens uh anything else before we move on from the baltimore ravens i'll give you all the floor uh, oh go for it go for it hey uh just real quick uh you know talk about uh lamar jackson and i guess the it was a two-man race between jackson and wilson the thing that kind of is on Wilson's side is that he has to play at an MVP level for the rest of the season just to get his team into the playoffs because they're having a great year, but the it's week 10 and the Niners are still undefeated and they still have the Rams in that same division. So they're got to, they're going to be fighting for a wild card spot while they'll probably be a double digit win team. So they got to, so they're facing an uphill battle in this NFC playoff race while Lamar Jackson, if things continue to go the way it goes, the Ravens will be virtual locks by week 12, week 13 to make it into the postseason. And so he has a little bit more ability to kind of spread out some, of his, you know, energy, take less hits, you know, throw more passes away or play a little bit differently heading into the final weeks of the season because he knows he has the playoffs coming up. With And Russell has to pay, put on a MVP game every single week just to guarantee his team wins. So that's one thing that might kind of tip it a little bit toward uh, Wilson's way, but I think it's still – 
at the end, when it's, if it continues going the way it does, that it's going to be Lamar Jackson's award to lose. Yeah, I think, you know, kind of like you said, Jeremy, where depending on what the Seahawks can do in this game, obviously, when everybody listens to this, we'll know the outcome of the game. But depending on if the Seahawks can, can uh, you know, give the 49ers their first loss and Russell Wilson um, plays really well, I mean, I think that does a lot to sort of catapult him, keep him in the in the lead spot for me. And another thing, you know, just to sort of add on to the to the passing point, you know, I was I was looking at this earlier, which I completely forgot. You know, Lamar Jackson is only the sixth player in history to record multiple perfect passer ratings um, in his career so far. And I think the last time it was done was by Ben Roethlisberger. I think it was over. Well, it was definitely over 10 years ago. I think it was 2007, if I remember correctly. I'd have to look it up again. I, I was think I saw it. what you're talking about, and that 2007 sounds right. Yeah. Uh, that, sound, that sounds right. It was like he was like the first guy since Big Ben to do yeah. it multiple times in the same season. Of right. course, Brady and Rodgers and Breeze have done it multiple times throughout their careers. Right. Um, but he was the first one to do it in over 10 years in the same season. He did it week one mm-hmm. and he did it this past yes, uh, Sunday. Yesterday. Yes, Sunday. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. So, exactly. So, you know, like you said, Jeremy, you know, he's a great athlete. You know, the whole like, you know, wanting him to switch positions and whatnot coming out of the draft and, and such. Uh, but, you know, he is a passer too. His passing has improved. I mean, I know that I'm on record saying that my biggest reason I couldn't fully get behind Lamar Jackson coming into the season is we don't know what kind of passer he's, he's going to be, if he's improved, etc. you know. Uh, but I think one of the things is that now this team is actually built around Lamar Jackson. It's built for him to do what he does best. He can he can throw, but it's also built for them to to run. You know, it, it it's built to ideally protect him, etc. So, you know, this team has been built for what he does as opposed to the Ravens of last year which were built around you know, Flacco and with, you know, you know, Flacco still being the quarterback there uh, before Lamar Jackson took over and they officially handed the reins over to him. So I think that that goes a lot to uh, helping him uh, in this MVP in, in this MVP race. But yeah, I, I'd say as far as I'm concerned, it's really between Russell Wilson and Lamar Jackson at this point with, with Christian McCaffrey, in my opinion, being a third up there. But like you said, I think ultimately if he keeps playing as well as he does, if Lamar Jackson keeps playing as well as he does, it'll probably be his to lose eventually. I just can't put him there just yet. Uh, the the Ravens have a very interesting stretch. Uh, the next four games, they get to play in Baltimore against the Texans, then on the road against the Rams, then at home against the 49ers, and then on the road against the Buffalo Bills. So uh, obviously in the next month, we're going to know a lot more uh, when it comes to this MVP race. But yes, those are our thoughts when it comes to Lamar Jackson. Uh, Let's now move on to the Baltimore. I'm sorry, the Washington Redskins. Dwayne Haskins was named the starter 
at quarterback for the remainder of the regular season. I mean, we've been talking about it for weeks and weeks, so I know what both of you all believe or feel. Both of you all feel that it was it's about time that you put him in the game. Is that a fair assessment? Oh, yeah, definitely. Long overdue. <laughs> all right. Now, let's start off with what – do the Redskins, or specifically the coaching staff, what does the coaching staff have to do? And we'll start with the coaching staff, and then the next we'll follow up with what Dwayne Haskins has to do. But let's start with the coaching staff. What do they have to do to put Dwayne Haskins in the best position to get better? Not necessarily wins, because you're one in is it one in seven? Are the Redskins one in one seven? One in or one in eight. We are one, one and eight. eight. Okay. So one and eight, you're not making the playoffs. Let's just let's just put it out there. You're not going to make the playoffs with an eight and eight record in the NFC East, no matter how bad the East is is this this current season. Now, hold up, hold up. I will stop you right there. <laughs> eight and eight will probably be the record of whoever wins the NFC East this year. It just won't be the Redskins. Okay. Okay. So we, we at least we understand that. So playoffs is out the question for the Washington Redskins. What does the coaching staff need to do to make Dwayne Haskins better? Start with you, uh, Darren. Well, I think my biggest thing right now is they need to let Dwayne Haskins throw the ball. As far as I'm concerned, um, you know. I think Bill Bill Callahan right now is is too in love with the run game right now. I think that's been a huge thing. Um, I'm I'm I was trying to find the stats earlier. I I just I I just forgot. I was thinking about it, but you know they're not letting they're not letting the quarterbacks. You know since since Callahan took over, they're not letting the quarterbacks you know throw the ball. You know we're we're running it on on so many snaps on so many possessions that. You know, we're not really getting a chance to to see Dwayne Haskins throw the football. You can't win football games uh, by only throwing like fifteen passes. Like it's just it, it it's it's not gonna happen. You know, you, you it, it's just not gonna happen if you're just you know you know dinking and dunking or just you know trying to run it on on so many possessions it's just not going to happen you know um what is it the redskins haven't scored i'm trying to remember what it was the redskins haven't scored a touchdown in 14 quarters now is that correct either um, 13 or 14 13 or 14 yeah i think i think it was i think it was 12 quarters at the halftime at halftime of the bills game so that was ha- yeah I think it hasn't yeah. been since the third quarter of the Dolphins the game. Dolphins game. Yeah. Oh, so they they did they did score a touchdown in the third quarter. Okay, so that would make Wait. it like third. No, yeah. I don't. I, no. Did they score? They, no, they didn't score. They didn't score uh-huh. in the second half of the Dolphins. So game. since second so quarter, it's, so it's fourteen. Yeah, they haven't they haven't scored a touchdown in fourteen in in fourteen quarters as of as of our time of recording this. And I so think a Red lot of that score. The Red. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Derek. Yeah, a touchdown in the third quarter against Dolphins. I'll try and find out who it was. I can't remember who it was, but that was the last touchdown scored by the Redskins, and that was on October thirteenth. 
that's continuous. That's ridiculous. So yeah, the thirteen quarters. I think that's that's correct. So yeah, that's mm. that's unacceptable. That's that's ridiculous. And if things if things keep up this way, you know, I'd predict. You know, the Redskins have the Jets. You know, this coming. You know, this coming Sunday. So it could very well be a game that comes down to like it could very well be a game of field goals, and then it could very well be a score like you know a. a you know, nine to six or six to three or some sort of game that could very well be if if this pace continues, that could very well be the score. You know, if the Jets don't manage to score a touchdown, if it just becomes a field goal game, then you know, it could go one way or the other with with the winning team just having more field goals than the other one. Um but I think that that's one of the biggest things that I would like to see. Um I mean we all know that our defense is terrible. Um, I think we talked about this before the show, but you know there was a lot of chatter about how around how you know people were saying you know the Redskins have a great defense. We know they're a great defense, etc. But I think you and I both agreed coming into the season that we weren't really impressed by their defense. We were looking, you know, Gerard. We were looking at this at this at who we had on defense, and I think we were both seeing you know where is the optimism as far as the defense coming from, and it's and it's just showing up. So, I mean, I. I don't know how the coaches address that. I don't know if it's just a matter of just getting players more prepared uh, for each game or whatnot, or if it's just kind of, or if it's on some level, you know, the players just kind of giving up on the coaching staff and the organization, especially given all, you know, we won't rehash it all, but especially given all the drama that's been surrounding this team, you know, between Trent Williams and, and other players just sort of calling out the Redskins organization and whatnot just this year and, you know, the dysfunction of the organization in general. Um, I'm not sure how much the coaching staff or anyone can really do to sort of adjust this, but I think as far as things you can really control, I think it's really going to come down to the play calling, you know, getting these guys ready to play, you know, and like I said, just my big thing is just let Haskins throw the football, you know, let him make his rookie mistakes, let him do what he's going to do. Just, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I just, I'm, I'm happy with Haskins being the starter at this point, simply because the Redskins, I don't think are going to be any better. I don't think they're they're going to end up any better or worse record-wise, whoever you go forward with at quarterback at this point. So as far as I'm concerned, you may as well just give Haskins the experience, you know, let him, let him get the idea of what it's like to really, you know, throw passes in a football game and just, you know, reading defenses, you know, making decisions on the fly, et cetera. So I think the play calling really needs to change, you know, on both ends of the ball, but, you know, especially uh, with our offense and what you're going to allow Dwayne Haskins to do instead of just handing it off multiple possessions and whatnot, just give him a chance to get the ball, to really get the ball downfield. And, you know, a guy like Terry McLaurin should be getting his, his catches, you know, his, his touches ever since Bill Callahan took over, you know, Terry McLaurin's uh, production has dropped a lot. So I think that giving Haskins the ability uh, to have him as a target, to, to let him try and find him down the field, call plays for that. I think that'll at least help him. It'll help his confidence and it'll help Terry McLaurin because he's a stud and you've got to utilize him as far as I'm concerned. Uh, and he just hasn't been utilized in the past 
in the past few games. So, you know, I think that's one of the biggest things that I would point to as far as things that we can actually control, things that the the coaching staff can actually control um, as far as things that we need to do to improve or at least try to salvage whatever we can of what's left of the season. So, yeah, um, as far as what the coaches can do for Dwayne Haskins, just go out there and run an offense geared toward him. This is going to be the – you touched on it just now. This is going to be the first time that we have Dwayne Haskins, Terry McLaurin, and Darius Geis all available and all relative and all starting or getting by or getting minutes in the same game. And so we're finally able to see what this young corner offense can do together. And we're going up against a team in New York that is on par with the type of team that we are, but their defense is strong enough that it'll be a solid enough test for what this team can do. Yes, it's yes, the record is pretty bad, but they have playmakers on the other side of the ball in Jamal Adams and uh, uh, the rookie Quentin Williams out of Alabama, and they just traded for Leonard Williams. No, they just traded Leonard Williams to the Giants. But they have young talent on that side of the ball, C.J. Mosley and some other guys, and they're coached by Greg Williams. So this would be a nice test for Dwayne Haskins and uh the rest of our young players we have. And I, what, I, what the coaches need to do with what Callahan and Kevin O'Connell need to do is go out there and try to have balance. Don't get away from what is what you feel comfortable calling. Don't go out there in a spread offense and have players motioning all the way across the field and running double reverses and option plays. That's not who we are. Go out but run plays and have a balanced offense within the system that Callahan has implemented over this past few weeks. He's been the coach. And use the running game, but also use that running game to help expand the passing game as well. Get get, uh, the play action going. Get Dwayne Haskins out with some boot plays. Use utilize the screen. We saw it a little bit last week with a- with AP and like Wendell Smallwood running two back backfields uh, lined up next to each other in the shotgun. Let's or, or flanking uh, Dwayne Haskins in the shotgun. Let's see that with Geisen with Adrian Peterson. Let's see using the running backs out of the passing game. Use the short passing game as an extension of the running game. Get your um, lineman who can move out in space. Brandon Sheriff's one of the best guards in the league when he's out in space, lead blocking for somebody. So get him out there, some screenplays and some delayed handoffs, some delayed passes, and see how the offense can really uh, work under Dwayne Haskins. And then, but one thing that's very important, this is where Terry McLaren comes into it. You got to get the ball downfield. Dwayne Haskins has an incredible arm. No matter what any doubters say about him coming into the league, nobody can doubt that he had a cannon, that he can get the ball downfield, that his throw, that it wasn't a throw in the field he couldn't make. And so you have to be able to expose that, well, not expose it, but highlight that and get him the and give him the opportunity to do some amazing things, or at least attempt some amazing things while we 
so we can see what we have in this team. Even if Bill Callahan, Kevin O'Connell, what the rest of the coaching staff feel as though they might not be here at the end of the season, they might be replaced or whatever the case may be. You have to be don't one, don't do this team don't do this team an injustice just because you feel like you might not be here. These players and the guy and these draft picks and these rookies and these young guys, they're employees just like the coaches are. Don't, you know, throw them under the bus because you feel like you still you might not be here. But at the same time, wherever they go next, they wouldn't be they should wanna be able to say, Hey, look what we were able to do with this young team toward the end of the year. Like be able to put this on your resume as positive. And so get these guys in situations so they can succeed because doing that will only benefit you as, as coaches. So now let's get to what Dwayne Haskins has to do himself to progress as an NFL quarterback. I'll start with you, uh, Gerard. Um, what he, ha- what he has to do for himself, he just has to go out there and, be the and be who he is. Don't try to mimic what you see other coaches, other players doing in the league. Don't try to make a big play and get yourself out of, out of your element. If there's a big play available and you see the opportunity for a play, go ahead, go go for it. Do what you do. You made it to the NFL. You were first round draft pick as a quarterback for a reason. You have the talent to do it. You have the praise from your college coaches, your high school coaches, and from coaches within the building in Ashburn. Don't let that sway you. Don't let outside forces or whoever sway you from things that have been that you have been vouched for that you have talent. Don't let that kind of get don't let that type of pressure get to you. Just make sure that he goes up there and does the things that he's that he knows he can do. Um and you know trust in Lee and trust your teammates. You know, guys and McLaren, you guys are out there showcasing what you guys can do for this team, for this fan base. You want to be able to see seven, twenty-nine, and seventeen jerseys on the backs of kids and fans for the next fifteen years. You that's that's what you or next ten years. That's what you want to see. Um and so that journey starts on Sunday with the game against the Jets. So you have to be able to, so that's what you have to do. That's what you're playing for. Um, and so just go out there. If you're Dwayne Haskins, just do the things that got you here. Don't try to change up. Only look to improve, not change. Yeah. I think, you know, to keep it short, I mostly agree with you, with, with what you said. You know, I echo your sentiments. He needs to go out there. He needs to be himself. He needs to just prove the reason why, uh, you know, he deserved to get drafted in the first round, why he deserved to be a high draft pick, um, especially as far as being a quarterback. Um, one of the things that I would love to see a little bit more of from Dwayne Haskins is just a little bit more decisiveness. I'm still seeing a little bit of hesitation just looking at his game very closely uh, in terms of some of his decisions when he's not just handing it off, when, when you know, they're not just running the football. Um I'm seeing just a little bit of uncertainty, and I think a part of that is just is just a part is just a matter of you know the coaching staff and whatnot just not properly preparing him um, before before now. But I think now that should come a little bit better. Seeing as you know, we know he's going to be the starter from here on out. We know he's our guy going forward. Um, there's there's 
not going to be any question about how oh if i if 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 i make a mistake you know being Dwayne Haskins there's no question about oh if i make a mistake you know am i going to get yanked is is case keenan going to take my spot etc cetera, etc cetera. no we you know that you're the guy you're you're the redskins quarterback you are you are our guy going forward so just embrace that be yourself and then just be ready and i mean so far he's showing he's showing signs that he can do that you know he's working with guys late after practice you know he's he's really trying to build his chemistry build his rapport with the guys that you know he's going to be working with you know hopefully for for a few years to come you know like McLaurin and Geis you know he's bonding with them he's getting used to being around them and they're developing together so i think he just needs to keep building that keep building that chemistry keep building that rapport and just not be afraid to do what he does just every decision that he makes just make sure it's decisive and and it's sure if you're gonna run the ball just commit to running it um if you're gonna throw it just be ready to throw work on your accuracy make sure you know where you're gonna throw it all right and like i said work with your receivers work with your backs just be ready make sure you guys are all on the same page and you know, one of the big things that you said, um, you know, is like I said, you said, be yourself. My, my addition to that is just, you know, not that I think that Haskins would necessarily try to do this, but, you know, don't try to emulate anyone. Don't try to look across the field or, or at another team, at another QB and be like, you know, I want to play like that. I want to be like that guy. No, just focus on being Dwayne Haskins, focus on being yourself and just be prepared. You know, obviously learn from the best, learn what they do to prepare for these, for these games, um, especially when they're like important major games. But, you know, beyond that, just be yourself and do what you do and do what got you in this league in the first place. So I think it's just, you know, building that confidence and just making sure you're ready every Sunday or Monday or Thursday um, and just be ready to play. All right. Um, before we continue, it's time to tell you about DMV Sports Network's library of podcasts. Right now, they have nine active shows, including team shows for the Redskins, Capitals, Nationals, Wizards, and Ravens. There's Fantasy Fever, which deals with all things fantasy football, and a pair of mixed bag shows from It's About Time DC and Dom and Thunder. All these shows are wherever podcasts can be found, so please them out. If you like any please leave a review and subscribe to them on the podcast platform of your choice. Uh, there is one more topic that we kind of want to get into with the Washington red or it could, it's, it's somewhat a Washington Redskins story. There is reports that came out about uh, Amazon's, I guess you could say CEO or owner. I don't know the exact term or title that he holds, but uh, Jeff Bezos, there's a report that Jeff Bezos would like to purchase an NFL team. Then you had uh, some reports connecting some dots. They said, well, the East Coast headquarters of Amazon is going to be in Arlington, Virginia. Then there's reports that he's actually going to be moving to the DMV area for a significant time of the year. Uh, so, of course, the speculations went to the Washington Redskins, that being a franchise that has been struggling for, you could almost say, two decades now. 
So the speculations are out there. Just real quick, and I'll start with you, Darren. Um, what would have to be the dollar amount that Jeff Bezos and I guess his ownership group would have to throw out there for Daniel Snyder to even think about selling this team? <sighs> Sheesh. Uh, well, my word, Jeff Bezos has more money than I think I've ever even imagined in my life. So I would probably have to say, uh, you know, given that given that his net worth is what it's like a hundred and ten billion or something, something like that. At least one hundred and twelve billion. One hundred and twelve. Okay. So, oh yeah, what's another two billion? Um, I, I don't know. I'd have to say for Dan Snyder and the ownership group to even listen. It would probably have to be somewhere. I'd have to say starting around the two billion mark, maybe. You know, just maybe, maybe between one and two billion starting. But I mean, I, 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 I don't know how these things work. I, I don't know enough about how they work. So I'd have to say starting in that area, and then you know down or up i'm not sure but i'd have to say you have to start up there because i don't think i don't think you start necessarily in the millions with 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 jeff bezos if he's actually interested um but for them to listen i mean you make that serious offer and then they'll probably be like okay we'll come to the table but i think I think that's where you start. Again, I, I'm throwing out a number basically because I don't know how these things work. I don't know the general, like, I'm not a business guy, so to speak. So I don't know what a quote unquote reasonable offer would be to purchase an NFL team just because I don't know enough about it. Um, but yeah, I'd say start around maybe the one and a half, two billion mark, and then you see to get them to the table and then see where it goes from there. I, that's just my wildest guess as far as I'm concerned. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, so your wildest guess wasn't wild enough. Uh, currently, I want to say as of the last, like, Forbes listing, skins kind of – the skins dropped the value in the NFL. They were top three for a very long time, but they dropped you – know, they've been dropping the past couple of years. Right now, the Redskins are worth $3.4 billion. Okay. Um, they're worth $3.4 billion. Dan Snyder himself is worth around $2 billion. So I think just to get – Dan Snyder interesting because I, I don't ever see Dan Snyder wanting to sell the team, but I think it'd have to be fifteen billion. Oh, wow! Just <laughs> go ahead. I think I know your logic, but go ahead. I, 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 I'm only saying fifteen billion. Not saying that the Redskins are worth fifteen billion or that. 
he that's even a that's that that would even make any type of logical business sense because it wouldn't to pay five times over the value of something unless you had on good authority that the valuation of that thing or product or entity or company is about to skyrocket. Um, so paying that much would not even make any sense. Uh, but I feel like it's ha- it would have to be something outlandish like that for the for Dan Snyder to consider selling the team. Like it, I just Dan Snyder won't ever do it because. Even at fifteen million, that's three times what the most valuable NFL team is worth, and that's the Cowboys. They're worth five billion. So, um, fifteen billion is still ridiculous. But I think it would have to be something. It would have to be something in the sense of. I will, if I'm Jeff Bezos, I'll go and offer, I will buy the Redskins for $7 million. I'll buy the Redskins for $7.5 billion and then sell you, Dan Snyder, and your group $7.5 billion worth of Amazon stock. Like, it would have to be something like that. It would have, that's, I feel like that's the only way that it would happen. It couldn't be, uh, it couldn't be just, hey, I'll pay, you're worth 3.4, I'll pay you 4 billion. It, it's not going to work like that. Dan Snyder wants the team too much. But a 15 billion dollar deal that's 7.5 of it, half of it is spent for the purchase of the team and all of its in all of his ownership and equity, and then the other half is paid directly to Dan Snyder, then I feel like that's the only way it could happen. So if I had to choose between the two options, like we, what you said, Darren, remind me, what was the, the what was the number that you threw out, Darren? Remind me uh, your... <laughs> Two billion, which was clear, which would clearly be a low ball offer, apparently. <laughs> okay, so so let's say, uh, let's say, or let's say even three billion. Your offer of three billion, your compare Gerard's offer billion combined. When you combine the Amazon stock and the actual cash, uh, if I had to choose which one I think is more likely, <laughs> I actually believe. Gerard's option is more likely because I don't think Daniel Snyder really wants to even trade. I mean, uh, sell the team. He always talks about how he grew up as a Washington Redskins fan and he went to season. I mean, he went to, he had season tickets since they were back in RFK. And he talks about the memories that he had with his father and grandfather with this team. So I don't think, Daniel Snyder is going to sell this team really at all, but it would have to be something crazy where it's like, you know what? At the end of the day, I because let's be real, Snyder bought the Snyder and his group bought the team for eight hundred back in nineteen ninety. Yes, nine uh, eight hundred million, and if you're telling me you can get seven point five billion. And then you also get another seven and a half billion off of Amazon stock. That might be the only, I guess, 
where you say, you know what, that's so much money that I really can't pass up on. Uh, so that would be the only way I think Daniel Snyder would ever sell the Washington Redskins. And yes, someone who's going to listen to this and say, well, hold on, $15 billion is three times higher than the high, most valued team. That's what I think is going to have to happen for Daniel Snyder to sell this team. It would have to be something ridiculous for him to sell the team. Let's now move on to the Washington Wizards. The Wizards are two and what's their record, Darren? Is it two and six or two and eight? I can't remember their record. Uh, two they, and six. They're two, they're two and six. Two. Yeah. Six, two and six. They just came off two losses against the Pacers and the Cavaliers, respectively. I made a joke on Twitter that uh, Tristan Thompson must have went to Darna on Thursday night because he that. had probably one of his best games as a pro on Friday night. It was at like 25 points and like 15 rebounds, something like that. So the Wizards are not playing well. And then we get an article from the Washington Post from Candace Buckner that talks about how even the team during practices are venting about how their defense is ineffective and things like that. But before we even get to that, I want to start with you, Gerard. You haven't been on for the last two episodes. I want to get your perspective. Last week, Darren and I did the good, bad, and ugly of the Washington Wizards. So quickly, if you can go through your good, bad, and ugly for the Washington Wizards. Uh, the good. Um... The rookie Hachimura has played better than my expectations in the first couple of weeks of the season. He's come in as a starter and produced probably second to only Bradley Beal in the starting lineup uh, as far as his level of production has been for the Wizards. So that is the good that, you know, at least as of right now, he was a good draft pick uh, for the Wizards. Um the bad, uh, the rest of the team, except for Bradley Beal, and save for a couple of others. But for the most part, the rest of the team that makes up the most that makes up the rest of our uh, rotation, and they're just not good NBA players. Is what it boils down to. Uh, I can expand on that later or another time, but they're just not good NBA players. None um, of them. Uh, come on, not come on, uh, come on, man. None uh, of them. It's it's something. I'm sure it's. I'm there's a. I know there's a better name that's lot. There's a lot less personal, but I call it the Jared Dudley effect, where. A player is so bad at so many NBA, at so many basketball basics or fundamentals or NBA, at least at the NBA level, that the one thing he's average at, it, it they try to make it that he's a specialist at that. Like how they try to make 
like you brought up Tristan Thompson. He's a good example of the Jared Dudley effect. He is so bad at everything, but he's such a good rebounder for those Cav- that he's such a good rebounder for those Cavalier teams that he called him a rebounding specialist. It was just the one thing he could do without tripping over his own shoes. That that is it. Like he he wasn't at the, he was never at the level of like a. Uh, uh, Drummond or uh, like Andre Drummond or Tyson Chandler or what or you know any of those type of guys. He was never at that level. He was just so bad at everything else that rebounding made it seem like he was really proficient at this one thing. Um, but the Wizards players, uh, Bonga is. I, I haven't outside of no, don't 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 say his name. Don't invoke his name. I've seen enough of that guy. Yeah, outside outside of decent length for his height and slightly above average NBA athleticism for a wing, he doesn't really. I don't. He doesn't bring much else to the table. How he was a starter for us is a true indictment of how bad this team was. Team is um, the guys off the bench. Bertans is a fantastic shooter. He can. He's an incredible shooter. Uh, he has a, a fantastic shot. Like the just the way it looks, it's beautiful. It's you know something that should be taught. Re- real quick, real quick. Would you call Bertans a three point specialist? He he led the league last year in three point shooting. I'll. Yes, there needs to be there needs to be another term other than specialist because I I agree with that. I don't like it, that term either. Specialist makes it seem like it's something, and especially when we talk about the NBA, it makes it seem yeah. like it does this like lethal like because if by definition James Jones was a three point specialist, just the only thing he could do, like he couldn't That's get on the court. Fair. At all, but like he, but he could shoot a three though. So like, you know, it's that's the one thing Bertans does fairly well. I, guys, like you know, I see some other guys in DV Sports Network talk on Twitter about uh, Wagner and Bertans on defense, and, and it, it, it it looks bad. It maybe maybe you can see flashes individually with each of those guys on different parts of their game, but as a collective, it looks bad. Ish Smith is who I, I don't, Ish Smith is who I thought he was. Like, he's a, he's a really solid backup point guard, um, but he's not a starting point guard. Um, Isaiah Thomas looks okay. Uh, I'm trying to think of who else is in the rotation. Troy Brown, the jury's still out on Troy Brown for me. Yeah. Um, I, you know, this is his second season, and so uh, I think I think I'll Troy see. I think Troy Brown would be better this season if he'd gotten more opportunities last season. Yeah, of course. I mean, of course. I just I I I I, I want them to try to make a move with whether it be free agency or trade. But at the same time, I don't want an attempt to try to win. I want the season to just be for development. If you like if you're if you're gonna bring up um if you're gonna try to do anything this season, 
I don't want like I don't want to move for an aging guy or for a guy that has no future here. I don't want you know a guy who has his best games behind him, even if it's somebody who's like recently has had a, some success. Like I can't think of a guy right now, but okay, like a Kevin Love. I wouldn't want to trade yeah. for like a Kevin Love. Like he's he still has. Probably three to probably another three or four years of having like a double averaging like a solid double double kind of you know stat line for you. But I don't want a guy like Kevin Love. He you know you're not going to get the best version of him from this point on. Is what I mean. But yeah, like I said, and Thomas Bryant, I, I mentioned this before the season before before the season started. Um, a lot of local Wizards fans love Thomas Bryant. I love, I like him a lot too. I love his work ethic. I love how much, t- I love how much time, energy, and effort he puts into his game. But Thomas Bryant is a classic example of one of those guys that he was blessed enough to have the size of a basketball player, especially he's a, you know, six foot 10, six foot 11, you know, so of course he is the size of a basketball player. And, but the talent part of it, the, like the talent part of his blessing package was left a little bit lacking. And so he works 20 times harder than anybody else just to get up to close of a, to get to a close playing field as other guys in the league. But there's a, there's a limit to hard work. Like that's what makes the NBA, the NBA, like you go work as hard as you want to work. But at the end of the day, you have to have the God given talent to be able to take it to that next level. And I just don't think he has that. I think he's going to work. I think he's gonna, we're going to get the best out of Thomas Bryant. Whatever he has, we're going to get. But I just don't think it will ever be anything more than, you know, like. Well, Tom, Thomas, Thomas Bryant is a very, I think, Thomas Bryant is a very traditional center. He's, he's not, he's, though. He's but, not, well, though. Well, he, well, the reason I think, I he's, think he. I think he's he not, is. He, he's not. A, he's not a traditional center because he's not a traditional center because he doesn't have the natural, like he doesn't have the natural big man strength to be a traditional center. He doesn't have much of a post game, like his post moves. He like you could tell he has you know a couple of that he can that he's practiced, but he. Translating it to the game against translating it in an NBA game against other NBA seven footers, he had he has trouble he has trouble uh, doing that. I think Thomas Bryant is a guy that is playing center in 2019 that would have been a power forward in 2009 and. He's trying to become more of a modern NBA big. He doesn't have the natural talent to do he's, it. He's trying. He's trying to be. He's trying to be more of a spread five than. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, and that's, and that's well. That's I agree. I that's that's my knock on him. I don't want him to be a spread. I whenever I see him jack up a three, I'm like, don't don't do that. Give it to Bradley Beal or somebody. Like, but I, I but, hate that. But. But that's the thing. Like that's what he has to do because his 
his he he can't he won't have much of an NBA career if he tries to be if he tries to be Alonzo Mourning or if he tries to be Patrick Ewing. He like he won't he won't have or Tyson Chandler. Like, he won't have a career like he's because even though those guys don't have didn't have much of an outside game to speak of. Patrick Ewing had a nice shot to him. He could hit a nice 15 foot, 20 foot jumper. He had that stroke to him. Um especially when he got to the NBA. But those guys had a natural way of throwing around 300 pounds of muscle gracefully and having the touch around the rim to finish. Thomas Bryant doesn't have that natural grace. He doesn't have that to be to move your entire massive weight around as quickly as you can, but still be under control and be aware of where you are and finish while all being while all of that while being defended by somebody who's just as big and quick as you. He doesn't have that. It's like because and he knows he doesn't have it because the reason why he got drafted when he drafted, I don't even know. I know he was either a late round or an undrafted guy. The reason why he was taken where he was, the reason why he was traded away as early in his career, why he wasn't, you know, a more lauded pick or more lauded player coming out of college was because he spent his entire post high school career going up against other guys who were just as big as he was and he couldn't do anything about it. So now he has to figure out how to be a stretch big because he can do, he can figure that out. He can, you know, learn how to shoot fairly well enough, but you know, at, at the NBA level, you have to be like to be able to, to become a shooter. It's hard. It's really, really difficult to work your way up to being a shooter. That's why people who kept saying John Wall just needs to get a shot. He just needs to fix his shot. All ten years he's been here. Like if getting a if just a, becoming a good NBA shooter was so easy, was just as easy as going into the gym and shooting five hundred times a day, then. Everybody in the NBA would be Steph Curry, but it's not just as easy as practicing. There has is a natural ability that comes with being a shooter, and you can work on it as much as you want to. But at the end of the day, either you have that natural ability or you don't. Hard work only goes but so far. And like I said, Thomas Bryant is. I feel like if he took. If he took his side, if if he just came out ten years before, and he just figured out, hey, you know what? I can't bang with the NBA big boys. I can't do it because he would. If he tried, if he tried to be a traditional big like you want him to be, he would be like, um, he would be like a oof. A slightly more I'm trying to think of a guy. I can't think of one right now, but he would he'd be a middling guy. He'd be a seven like a seven points and seven rebounds a night kind of guy off the bench. Like he he couldn't he wouldn't be able to he wouldn't be able to give you starter production playing in a traditional role. Um I feel like if the NBA still were based around a seven foot 
280-pound center, he'd be a good power forward to that center, I feel like. But, uh, Tom, like I said, to me, Thomas Bryant is always just going to be a guy who I know I'm going to get a lot of work from. But I, if I'm depending on him to give me a, a significant chunk of my portion of production, then I'm worried about the state of my team. Um, but he's a good guy to have in your, on your team. He's a good guy to have in your rock and roll and in your practices. Um, but like I said, he's not a star or like a cornerstone piece. I don't think so. Did, did you did you have did you have an ugly? Oh, I, yeah, oh, you that was all, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I was just about to say, did yeah, you I have an that ugly? Was, that was all. That was all the bad. <laughs> That was, I mean, it was the it was the bad, and then you know, uh, Darren had to you transition know. to the ugly, I guess. Yeah, yeah, the ugly. Oh, the ugly is the coaching. Uh, Scott Brooks. Coaching okay. Is the ugly. Yeah. Uh-huh. Scott, Scott Brooks coaching is the ugly. Uh, real quick, uh, this article from the Washington Post from Candace Buckner uh, basically explains how yesterday in practice or Sunday in practice, how Scott basically challenged the team. A challenge in better individual defenders. Uh, now, the interesting point about that. I want you to uh, explain your point about that quickly, and then I'll let Darren follow up. Uh, what was your, uh, I guess, thoughts on Scott Brooks trying to get individual players to play defense? Um, I mean, I guess, you know, the what Candace Bunton was reporting was saying that the team had had noticed that their defense was lacking. And so Scott Brooks resp- Yeah, so Scott Brooks' response was let's stop practice and run one on one gauntlets and and force each other to play defense. Like you got these are NBA players. I'm sure they can play one on one fairly well. That's not the issue. You're not going out there and playing James Harden one on one, and then after a bucket, he gets subbed out and Westbrook comes on the court. No, you're playing an entire team. The issue is team defense. So playing, stopping team practice to play one on one basketball is feels very counterproductive. It it makes no sense if. The Redskins has issue stopping, had issues uh, getting to the passer or whatever. I'm sure they wouldn't stop practice to do one-on-one O-line versus D-line drills. Like, after a while, you know, one-on-one is one thing, but if you can't beat a double team, if you can't get around uh a pocket or whatever. That's one thing. So yeah, no, stopping team ball practice to do something one-on-one. It's fun to do, but it's not going, it's not, it's not fun to do when you're at the bottom of the Eastern Eastern conference two weeks into the season. Yeah. I honestly, I looked at this and laughed for a number of reasons. Anyone that knows me knows whenever someone says, Whenever someone says, yeah, the Wizards just need to fix their defense, or whenever someone talks about that, da, 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 I'm like, well, the Wizards haven't played defense in years. So I, when they show that they're willing to make an effort to 
to put in some work on the defensive end, then I'll start actually criticizing it and whatnot. But it's like you said, my thinking was that if everybody's going to be going one-on-one, I mean, this is like, it's exactly like you said, these are grown NBA players. These are guys, you know, these aren't college players. Hell, heck, even college, this, these are like high school drills where, where you're, where you're playing one-on-one practicing one-on-one, etc. So, I mean, it's different going one-on-one and like trying to guard, like having Mo Wagner trying to guard uh, Rui Hachimura, um, you know, from going to the basket, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it's different as opposed to a situation where you've got little Isaiah Thomas out there and you've got to cover him on defense, et cetera. And then meanwhile, everybody else is over six feet and flying around the court. I mean, it, this it, it's like you said. I think counterproductive is the best is the best way to put it, because that's not a skill. You, you know, even even if it's like excessive ISO ball, I mean that's still not a skill that necessarily translates directly into an an, an actual NBA game. And I mean, especially unless you're going to be like scrimmaging or you know practicing it against defending a guy like James Harden or LeBron James you know, in practice, uh, I mean, even in that case, it's still a team defense game. So I, I mean, at some point I just kind of have to look at it and laugh because I mean, I don't think that's necessarily the way that you coach defense. I mean, and you know, I, I laughed when, when we started this, this little final topic, because it's like, Oh, the Wizards noticed they weren't playing their de- playing any defense. Well, we've literally been hearing this for like three years that, you know, after every single game, you know, it's, oh, we need to play defense. We need to pick it up. We need to just guard people, etc. Yeah, we know. I mean, I don't understand why it's taken like three years and honestly more than that, you know, but I don't understand why it's taken so long for the Wizards to figure out they actually need to play defense. You know, at this point... It's just you either play it or you don't. And, you know, they've got to put in the effort as a team on the court in game situations and not this one-on-one, you know, ISO defensive drills kind of thing. They've got to be able to put it all together as a group. So, I mean, I don't think it's necessarily helping. I think it's just more wasting time at practice than anything else. And uh, I'm not a fan of it. So I, I I just don't know. All right. Well, that will do it for us here at DMV Dispute. Hopefully you all enjoyed the show. And if you did, subscribe to us wherever podcasts are available. Maybe even leave us a review on the podcast platform of your choice. That way it will help us grow in the charts and reach more people. You can find us on Twitter at DMV Dispute. You can find me on Twitter at J squared zero two one. Darren, where can they find you on Twitter? Uh, you can find me at D-Bird Hoops. That's D-B-I-R-D Hoops. Uh, real quick, I know we haven't really talked about them that much, but I want to give a quick shout-out to the Capitals. Um, I know they just lost uh, They just lost to the Coyotes tonight, um, but they were coming off six-game uh, six win streak, so I just want, if we have any capitalis- Capitals listeners, I want you to know that you know they're, they're doing their thing and they're playing pretty well, so we'll look for them to get back on track later this week. Uh, but yeah, um, shout out to the Caps. Find me on Twitter, dbirdhoops, dbirdhoops on Twitter. What about you, Jerron? 
They can find me on Twitter at Roddy KG. That's at R O D D Y K G. Shout out to all the college basketball teams we have in the local area. Shout out to Maryland Terps, both women and men's. Georgetown Hoyas, we haven't forgot about you. Shout out to you guys as well. George Mason, VCU, Towson Basketball, UMBC, and all of my HBCU schools out there. Howard, Morgan, UMES. Shout out to my alum and to my alma mater. Uh, hopefully, we all have a good season in the DMV as far as basketball goes. And hopefully, by the time March comes around, we have a couple of teams to fill out our bracket with. Oh, yes. And happy Veterans Day. Shout out to our veterans. Thank you for your service. Thank you for everything that you have done. Yes. Shout out. Yes. Shout out to our veterans as well. I do want to give another shout out to a small NAIA school in the Washington, D.C. area, Washington Adventist University in Tacoma Park, Maryland. They are a NAIA school, but they defeated Howard University at Howard last Monday by three points. It's their first victory against. NCAA Division I school so shout out to Washington Adventist University also they are I guess you could say my alma mater also so yeah shout out to them and their accomplishments that they've had already in this young season we just want to uh, let you all know once again to don't forget dmvsportsnetwork.com check them out follow them on Instagram and Twitter at dmv underscore sn and if you want to join the team contact them via twitter the website or shoot them an email at dmv sports network at outlook.com thanks for listening and we'll talk to you all next week peace peace out